Is David Quinn on the hot seat? Tuesday's 5-2 loss to the Devils was as deflating as they come. We will debrief the Rangers' four-game losing skid and discuss where their head coach stands. The Post's own Larry Brooks joins us to talk about Quinn's future and the unacceptable Rangers' effort. We also have our first Rangers prospect on the show. It's 2019 third-round pick and UMass's own Zach Jones. All that and more is next on episode 44 of Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats podcast, our New York Rangers podcast. From the New York Post, subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that support. Larry Brooks from the New York Post is going to join us in his weekly spot. We'll also be joined by Rangers prospect from the zoo, UMass, Zach Jones, of course. Our co-host is Molly Walker, who is a UMass alum. And joining her as her co-host is the star of the show, number 10, Ron Duguay. So hi, everyone. It's another week of recapping and talking Ranger, Ranger hockey, how they've performed. And when you look back, played against Boston Bruins, and it was a feisty uh, couple of games. I think it brought the some of the physical aspect of what the Rangers need to do to perform and to perform against a more physical team. And then they get to, uh, get to play the Devils in a game where they thought that, well, the Devils hadn't played in 15 days. It should be a game that we need to take advantage right out of the gate. And it's not what we saw. And so those are all things we're going to talk about in the show. We're going to talk with Molly. And, of course, we're going to talk with Larry Brooks. But there's a level of excitement, I know, with Molly Walker about this young prospect, Zach Jones, who is playing at UMass, the greatest college on earth, as she <laughs> describes it. And so we'll get into that. And, of course, we'll get into talking about Coach Quinn uh, going through a very difficult time for him as a head coach. So, Molly, uh, what are your thoughts about the last couple of games? I guess mainly looking at the last game against the Devils where, you know, you're thinking that the Devils were a team that uh, – we're going to uh, be a little bit, they wouldn't have their legs is what everyone thought we wouldn't see, but they did have their legs. They came out with a lot more passion than the Rangers did. You're 100% right, Ron. And yes, go UMass. Very much so looking forward to that end of the interview. Um, but yeah, this was probably one of the most deflating losses that the team experienced this season. That first period really rivaled that season opening shutout loss to the Islanders. It was lifeless. There was no sense of urgency. And for a Rangers team that was riding a three-game losing streak coming into this game, you would think that this would be a game that they'd come out guns a-blazing. But that was really just not at all what we saw. And, and like you saw, this was a Devils team that had one practice to prepare, hadn't played in over two weeks because of a team-wide COVID-19 outbreak that shut down all hockey activities. It shut down their facility. And as I wrote in my article in Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday's morning paper, the Devils hadn't even sniffed the ice in 15 days, and the Rangers allowed them to skate them out of their own arena, to be quite frankly. And there was a couple of 
bright spots, I guess you could say. Colin Blackwell with another goal, who is he's really one of the only players that's generating dangerous chances. Kevin Rooney and Julian Gauthier, too. That fourth line has continued to bring the grit, the snarl. And, and these guys are, are brand new to the team. But I mean, that kind of leads me to my next point the post game between Kreider and Zabinajad were as deflated and defeated as I've ever seen them, to be quite honest with you, Ron. Zabinajad said verbatim, the team is lacking desperation. And Kreider said the Devils flat out wanted it more. And then the real kicker, Ron, was head coach David Quinn pointing to the lack of effort. Well, I'm, I'm good on because I, I watched the game and I was interested in, in seeing how they were going to start this game after playing against Boston. They got a taste of what it was like to play a bigger, stronger team and how they needed to compete physically. And so I, I like to think I saw some of that, especially with Kreider. Kreider ends up getting a fight. Uh, there's a big hit on Zabinijad. Kreider comes back and he gets into a fight. And I think he's, he was basically sending a mes message early on. So the first period, there was some physical aspect to the game, but it doesn't carry through. And that's the big question that when you're thinking about Coach Quinn and the coaching staff, when you're thinking about them preparing their players, how much is this the players themselves and the character of the team? And how much is this on coaches getting their teams prepared? Because uh, the game is played fast and there's a lot of skill on the ice. But when you're struggling, when you're not scoring goals, I remember back in my day when we got, we went two or three games where we weren't winning. We, there was a, um, a, a tone in the dressing room before the game set by certain players that tonight we're going to go play hard. If we have to fight, we're going to fight. We're going to get physical. So when you talk about when coach says his team was out work, sometimes it's not just the work. It's the kind of work. Are you playing with a chip on your shoulders? Are you just playing hard? You're skating. So there's a difference between playing with a chip on your shoulders and kind of skating hard and playing hard. And I think that that's when we talk about the makeup of this team, the New York Ranger team, I'm not sure it's made up that way. Other than Lemieux and, you know, sometimes Kreider, maybe Truba, they don't have enough guys that kind of sense that we need to go physical tonight and play hard. And so those are things I guess we can keep talking about as we talk about the Rangers. Yeah, you know, Ron, the thing that I have sort of kind of noticed as I've covered the team that this, this season is there's no identity to this team. I think that as a group, they're not sure who they are, what they want to be. And as someone who's covered the Islanders a bunch, I can tell you that that's a team that has an identity. And it's been established by Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello. And that's on management, in my opinion. I think what this Rangers team is missing is direction toward an identity and taking on a theme in their locker room. Do you, do you agree with that? Like, do you think that when you look back on your teams that you guys all had an identity or at least had discussions about the kind of players and the kind of team that you wanted to be. What I experienced back in my early days as a New York Ranger, I can remember our, the leadership came from one, mainly one guy and that was Phil Esposito. And mm -hmm. Phil's the type of guy that he loved to have fun. But when things were off, when you walked into that dressing room before game, you knew things were different. Because Espo walked around with his game face. And there was no messing around. There was no joking around. We knew tonight 
we're going to have to compete hard. And it was more of a physical type of game that we're going to play. And, and then moving on as a Ranger, I play with Barry Beck, Nick Fatiu, Hospodar, Kostopoulos. And when we thought that we needed to go out and change things, we, we had the guys in the dress room that set that tone. So that's why when you look at the makeup of the New York Rangers, who do you have on that team who's going to have his game face on? Chip on his shoulders. I can name one, and that's probably Lemieux, right? Lemieux is the type of guy that will go and stir things up, and he'll get a feel for the game, and he'll go do something physical just to change things up. So uh, when you talk about coaches, a lot of this is on coaches. When you look at Kreider's season, how has he played? He's you know, he skated hard. He plays hard. But is he the physical guy that he needs to be? No. And so that's where I look at coaches. And when you're not seeing that out of your players, it's time to have a one-on-one with these guys. When I'm talking Kreider, Truba, those guys that are, are a little bigger, more physical, I bring them in and address them and say, hey, look, it, you're not performing the way you need to perform. You guys are one of the veterans and you need to go out there and play a lot harder. So a lot of this is uh, it lays upon the coaches to be able to set the tone in the dress room and to identify certain players who aren't playing that game. You know, I agree with your point about Lemieux. My only issue with it is that I think that it falls more on Kreider. And he's done a lot of great things in the locker room. I've talked about it before. He knows when to be fun. He knows when to be serious. And he says a lot of the right things at, in after in the post game after losses, I think he is blunt, he's direct, and he isn't, you know, blowing smoke up of anybody's butt. Basically, he knows, and he said it ex- exactly after the Devils, after the loss to the Devils, he said the that it starts with every single player in that locker room. There is not a single person that is doing more than anybody else. It is on everybody, and I feel like everybody needs to come together and just figure out the theme, the identity, what kind of team that they want to be. And I think that Kreider needs to step up, and it's it's such a shame because obviously we're not in the locker room and we don't know what's going on. And even after the games when, you know, before the pandemic, we could at least go in there and, and get a feel for the vibe in the room and such. Kreider, I guess, needs to just step more into that captain role and be more vocal. Yes, he gives it to the media, but I'm not 100% sure he's doing it more so behind closed doors. And the, you know, Lemieux brings a lot of physicality and, you know, can bring a lot of energy and such, but I don't think he has that veteran status yet to take the reins. And I think that's, that falls on Kreider. I really do. And Molly and Ron, good mention of Kreider leads us into our Twitter question in a seamless transition there and interesting stat that Larry Brooks who will join us had in his column in the last 11 of the 14 contests the Rangers have gone with the lead or tied into the third period so maybe there's some uh tired legs not a lot of practice you know the COVID delay the weird offseason who knows maybe that plays a part as well but the Twitter question coming from at blue 21893 do you think giving Kreider that extension last year was a good idea lots of times he's invisible on the ice Unless he is taking a penalty for something unnecessary, and this isn't a new problem, it has been his whole career. Well, you are going to let Kreider go. I mean, you just had to pay him what he what the going rate was. So I would have never let Kreider go. He's a big power forward. The thing is, you got to surround him with certain teammates. And that's where, when you look at the makeup of this team, that's where I think it falls on management. When I had mentioned earlier about Barry Beck, 
Nick Fatia, Hospidor, Katsopoulos. These guys fed off each other. They had each other's back. I mean, Kreider, he's out there, and it's not like he's surrounded by a bunch of guys who have a chip on their shoulders, who get angry. And so he's kind of on his, an island by himself other than Lemieux. I keep mentioning Lemieux. He's the only other guy. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's the makeup of the team. It's not just the players. It's the players that have been assembled by management and by coaches. I totally agree, Ron. I think that giving Kreider that extension was absolutely vital to this team going forward as far as having veteran leadership you know this team is so young it is one of the it is the youngest team in the entire nhl their average age is is 25 years old and they only have a select amount of core veteran leadership on the team right now and Kreider, you know when you put him next to players like Zabinajad and Truba, Kreider's the only one that's got a voice, in my opinion. Zabinajad is very soft-spoken. He's He takes a little bit more of a lead-on-the-ice kind of, kind of player, even though he hasn't been doing so well on the ice this season. But that's kind of always been his MO. And Kreider is more of the vocal leader type of player in that locker room. And I also think that uh, this is also just an assumption, you know, Kreider is going to be quite old in hockey years when this extension ends in a, in a couple of years. And I feel like he wanted to play his entire career as a Ranger. And I am assuming that when they came to the discussion, I'm sure Kreider said that Kreider probably said, I want to finish my career as a Ranger. That was probably his wish. And the Rangers were probably happy to grant him that because he has really been on this team for so long. He has seen that, seen it all from Lundqvist, you know, now it's just Shesterkin, you know, a couple of runs to the cup and he probably wanted to stick around and, and probably recognized his role on this team and what he would have to bring. And, and I think he has brought it in a sense. It's, it's not translating as much onto the ice, but I, I definitely think that, that the extension was worth it as far as this team needs that leadership and that vocal voice. All right. And you guys mentioned coach Quinn as well. That's been the big topic. Is his seat getting hot? Is it hot like a who wants to be millionaire contestant with Regis Philbin back in the day? I don't even know if Molly's <laughs> old enough to remember that edition of the show. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, she's on the Jimmy Kimmel new version. She doesn't remember Regis. Rest in peace. We have a call on David Quinn. Here it is. Hey, Molly. Hey, Ron. This is Tyler from Livingston, New Jersey. Quick question. I mean, how long until David Quinn is on the hot seat? I get that there's injuries, this is the youngest team in the NHL, no preseason, but, you know, we keep making all these excuses. Last night was a game that, you know, we should have won. This team hasn't played in two and a half weeks. Their roster is, you know, not as talented as ours, and it was just we, we put in 10 minutes of effort. So at what point do we start to look at the coaching? And if not, then what's the problem? Well, Molly, let me start with that. He mentions New Jersey and, it's, and he talks about New Jersey not being a very talented team. Well, I disagree. I, I like New Jersey. I mean, they got some small players that are working hard. They got skilled players. They're getting some great goaltending and really good coaching and Lindy Ruff. So I, I think playing New Jersey, it's not an easy game. You have to be at your very best. Now, having said that, now they hadn't played in, what, 15 days. And, and I would love to know what those players were doing because they came out, their legs looked strong. So obviously they weren't on the ice, but they were still able to train. And that just goes to show you the type of athlete that hockey players are nowadays. You could take 15 days, have one practice, and go out and play hard. Now, a lot of that is just knowing how to take a short shift. When it goes to Coach Quinn, 
I've been really pleased with the way he's developed the younger players, especially like going back into last year. This year has been different. And of course, circumstances are different. He needed, because he's got a young team, he needed those exhibition games. He needed those six games to get those players ready, especially the goaltending situation. So I got to give him a pass there. My only problem, my only issue, and I brought this up already, is certain players, I believe, aren't playing hard enough. Or as a team, they're not playing more physical. They need to play a little more angry. And you can force players to play that way. It's either you play this way or you don't play. So that's my only thing. But you, when you look at all the games, they've been, you know, they've won their share of games. They're almost at 500. And the games that they've lost were close games. And the games that they lost were games where they got some hot goaltending on the other side. So things aren't as bad as they appear. And of course, now he's having to deal with injuries. And so being a coach in the NHL is not an easy thing. And when you look at the Rangers, it's not like they have a lot of depth. So I'm still going to give him a pass. I can't, I don't believe he's on the hot seat. When you look at this young Ranger team, you got to look at coach. He's still a young coach in the NHL. He's still trying to figure things out. So I think he just needs to possibly, and what I would love to see, if you're going to bring in a couple of different players, you need to bring a couple of guys that play with some grit to be able to play those games where things aren't going right. You got to get physical. And that's what we saw at Boston. Game two, boss against the Rangers, you saw that they turned it up physically in game two, period number two. They end up winning that game. But you got to be able to turn it up a notch when you need to, but you need certain players to be able to do it. I agree, Ron. You you honestly covered a lot of what I would have to add. You know, he was brought in to develop players. He was known as, you know, he did such a great job at the collegiate level, and he was known to develop talent and with such a young team that's exactly what he's done a lot of the young players have been relatively great you know that he's had a hand in developing capo caco has taken strides philip Heedle has taken strides before his injury and that's the biggest part of what he was brought in to do so in that aspect he's come through and I, like i said earlier i think the only thing that's missing is like you said, Ron, he is also figuring out his way through the NHL. He is still a young NHL coach, and I think he's figuring out how to balance developing the young talent, but also manage the veteran players. And I don't think he has a hold on that just yet. He doesn't really know how to push the right buttons. Although I will say demoting Pavel Buchnevich to the third line did get him to get the monkey off his back in the game against the Devils. So that was a good button to push. But yeah, I think he still needs to get a hold on, on what he's doing with this veteran group. Well, guys, the pressure might mount more when fans are in the building at the Garden Next week, maybe Sarah McCroy. Happy birthday to her, celebrating her birthday, entering tw the 26th, past the quarter century mark. Um, we'll have a young prospect join us in a little bit in Zach Jones. But joining us next is Hockey Hall of Fame Ranger beat writer for the New York Post, Larry Brooks, right here on Up in the Blue Seats. Joining us next is the one and only New York Post Hall of Fame Rangers beat writer, Larry Brooks. Follow Larry on Twitter at NYP underscore Brooksy and read his stories in the post and at nypost.com. Larry, jumping right to the most important topic of concern. Your column after Tuesday's loss explored the idea that head coach David Quinn is partially to blame. 
What are you seeing from Quinn's handling of the team's current situation? And what do you think he needs to adjust in his coaching style? First of all, when any team has trouble scoring the way the Rangers have for the last week and a half or so, a team is always going to look a little bit tight, look like they're not uh, having any fun because they're always pressing. What I was actually thinking today about their team is, and in contrast with the Devils, look like they were having a great time. I mean, they just looked like they were having fun last night. Even, you know, in the second period, they were hemmed in. The Rangers dominated the second period. If things were going well for them, they might have scored three, four, five times. But even through that, you could kind of see some life in the Devils. And then, of course, in the first and third, they they were just, you know, they were like a a peewee team, just, just going out and playing and having a great time. The Rangers never look like they're having fun anymore. I think somehow the coach, who is a very intense guy, always very intense behind the bench. We know that about him. I think somehow he needs to lower the temperature around the team. And it's very, very hard to do when you're in the middle of a stretch like this, when your best players aren't playing well and you're losing night after night after night. I recognize that it's difficult, but I think there's somehow they needed a change in atmosphere. Everything right now is so hard for them. Nothing is coming easy for them. I think he needs to make that a priority. And I think just from a game coaching perspective, he keeps going. And I, and I, and I alluded to this in my early yesterday on Buknevich, but he keeps going to his top guys. He likes to ride his horses. And I get that when your guys are producing for you. I, I get why last year Zabanajad and Panarin, you know, were playing 21, 22 minutes a night. They were carrying the team. They, they lit up the rink almost every night. I'm not so sure that when you have Zibanejad struggling the way he has this year, Buknevich, who has you know, played very well for six or seven, then dipped for five or six, and last night I thought he played well, I think it's tough to keep going back to those guys over and over and over because when you're doing that, there's only so much time to go around in a game, and so you're diminishing what your third line, your fourth line can give you and there were times last week where Rooney, Lemieux, Gauthier line was kind of their best unit. And they still only got their eight or nine minutes. And so I think he's going to have to find a way, or I would recommend that, you know, he, he find a way to get the fourth line on a little bit more, to not lean so heavily on Zibanejad until his game starts to come to not lean so heavily on Kreider. And I know they're a bit depleted. I think Panarin is supposed to play tomorrow night. Sounds like it. So it makes it easier when Panarin's back. But but I think you need to have more of a balance of ice time. Then, then of course, you know, there's going to be the additional challenge of trying to play these next four to six weeks without Jacob Truba. And, and you know, the four to six weeks all well and good, but they're going to have to get through playing Philadelphia, Washington, Boston without Truba, you know, they've already, D'Angelo was already off the map. So, you know, they have, you know, the one right D who they started with. And so they have to fill in there. So this is not going to be easy, but I go back to my first point. He's got to, he's got to find a way, I think, to to, um, create kind of a comfort zone, even though they're losing and which is, which is hard. It is. I recognize that it's going to be a challenge. So Larry is talking coaching. Would you say, because this team's a young team, coached by a young coach, young NHL coach, do you think that he also is going through a learning curve right now with things being very difficult 
You're not getting good bounces. Goaltending has not been great. You're getting injuries. So this also is a learning curve for him because some are saying he's on the hot seat, right? He's not good enough. I don't believe that. I like what he's done so far. But I think what you're saying is he's going through a period right now where he needs to learn himself when things are really difficult. What is it that you do? Yeah, I agree. I think that's I think that's a good point. And I think this is an interesting year for them because they're both trying to develop and win at the same time. Now, look, if their guys make steps forward, take strides forward, and they don't miss the playoffs, you know, I think management would like to make the playoffs. But I don't think management's going to turn around and say to David Quinn, you didn't make the playoffs, you're out. That's not the bar that he is looking to clear. But he wants to win. He is a very competitive guy, and I'm I'm sure all coaches are. But he wants to win. And so I think this is chewing him up. Very few players are playing well. And when very few players play well on a team, I always think, well, there has to be a reason. You know, why is nobody playing well? And that's up for him to figure out. And I appreciate the honesty, you know, post-game. But I I never think it's a good look for a coach to walk in and say, yeah, I I don't really know what happened. I don't know why that happened. You know, the coach is the guy that's supposed to have the answers to that. We're the ones that are supposed to be saying what happened. The coach isn't supposed to be saying, yeah, I don't, I, you know, yeah, what happened? I think just from that perspective, and I'm sure players look at the Zoom. They may not look at it, you know, while it's going on, but it gets back to everybody, and I, I'm not so sure that your head coach coming out and saying, yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened is the right approach to take. I have to ask, Larry, under the current circumstances and after seeing how deflated that locker room appeared to be after Tuesday's loss, do you want to change your postseason predictions? I usually want to change my predictions like, you know, within 10 minutes. <laughs> I think it's going to be very, very difficult for this team to make the playoffs. Yeah. They're in a very, very tough division. Everybody knew that. I just thought, listen, I thought they'd make it because I, because I thought their top players were so high end that they would be the difference between finishing in fourth place and fifth place. I, you know, I, I didn't, I, I never saw them as a, as a big time playoff team or as a team that had the capability of going on a run but I looked at the division and I thought, you know what? Their top end guys are really good. I thought Lafreniere was going to make an impact because everybody I talked to told me that he was going to make an impact. I thought their ceiling was probably a little bit higher than it looks now. But if you had said to me, you know, Zabanajad is going to score one goal in the first 14 games and Panarin is going to be, you know, pretty good, but really not the player he was last year. And Strom and he were going to have problems connecting and Lafreniere is going to have one point after 14 games. <laughs> I, I, I would have said, no, 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 no. Then we're, then we're talking about, you know, seventh or eighth place. So I think, I think also the, the Islanders are a little bit better than I thought. I respect them. I just thought they were going to have a really tough time scoring goals. And it turns out that it's the Rangers who are having a really tough time scoring goals. And I also think the Devils are a lot better than I thought they they would be. How this plays out over 56 games, I don't know. They, you know, the Devils have played 10. So, you know, we'll see. But they are getting the most out of their talent, and the Rangers are not. And I think that's a little concerning. Really, other than Adam Fox, you know, who, who do you look at and say, yeah, I, I mean, Buknevich has played pretty well if he had that down stretch. But... Who do you look at and say, you know what, that guy's exceeding expectations? Nobody. And that's um, that's a little concerning to me. Larry, as a uh, bright spot on the ice, a player that looks like he's playing with a lot of life is Colin Blackwell. I know he's 27 years old. He's a little guy, 5'9", but he plays hard, and he's noticeable on the ice. 
So he's been a pleasant surprise, wouldn't you say? Oh, I agree. And Kevin Rooney has too. I give them a, a ton of credit. I mean, even Rooney last night, Rooney is good on, on faceoff. So here's the last, you know, the last, well, three minutes they pulled um, Chesterkin, I guess, or two or three. And they've got faceoff after faceoff in the offensive zone because the Devils are just icing the puck. They don't care. What did the Rangers do? And I think Quinn did, I think this was a smart move by Quinn. Because Ibanejet isn't doing well on, on draws. Strom is really not good on draws. So here they are with the extra attacker. And who is it? It's Kevin Rooney because he's going to win faceoffs. And he did. He, he, won, he won multiple faceoffs in a row. Blackwell brings energy. He's a responsible guy. But let's face it, you know, when Kevin Rooney and Colin Blackwell stand out game after game, and I think Jacques Lemaire, Jacques Lemaire said this back in um, 19, like 96 or something. Um, Bobby Holik had a really good game, you know, and, and Bobby Holik at that point was still known as kind of a crash line player, fourth line guy. But Bobby never thought of himself that way. You know, after a game, Holik was, Devils hadn't played well. They lost. Holik played well, but nobody else did. And, well, Bobby Holik was our best player. That's good for Bobby, not good for the Devils. <laughs> you know? And of course, yeah. of course, when it was repeated to Bobby, <laughs> yeah. what is he saying? I don't, you know. um, but um, again, it's kind of like you don't want to leave the rink every night thinking that Kevin Rooney and Colin Blackwell and Phil DiGiuseppe were your best players, you know, or made the most impact. Yeah, I mean, you, you, that's great for one night, but you can't have it on a consistent basis. Again, you know, good for Colin Blackwell, good for Kevin Rooney, probably not good for the Rangers. Well, Larry, you never have to excuse yourself for talking so long. We always hang on every word and we'll chat again <laughs> next week. All right. Sounds good, Molly. I'm beyond excited about our guest this episode, not just because he's the first prospect we've ever had on the show, but because he is a fellow UMass Minuteman. For those who don't know, I went to UMass and covered the team that had current NHLers, Kale McCarr, Mario Ferraro, and John Leonard, and went to the Frozen Four in 2019. It was the best time of my life, and so to have a current UMass player to discuss my glory days with, it is going to be a blast for me. He was the Rangers' 68th overall pick in the 2019 NHL Draft and is now in his sophomore season at UMass Amherst. Zach Jones, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Molly. Zach, so to start, UMass has had 19 games so far this season, and the team is currently 11-5-3, which is not too shabby. Obviously, it's an unconventional season. I had read that Hockey East is currently scheduling games on a weekly basis. What has that been like for you guys? You know, How far in advance do you find out who you're playing, and, and how has that impacted how you've prepared? Uh, yeah, obviously, it's weird this year, everything that's going on around the world. But I mean, we probably find out the same time everybody else finds out. So I mean, we usually find out on Tuesdays or like three or four days before we're playing, whoever we're playing, and then we just kind of go from there. I mean, we know kind of ahead of the week, like who we're supposed to be playing that weekend. But, you know, obviously, it's tough when you find out three days before scouting report and stuff like that's going to be like, but our coaches have done a tremendous job preparing us for games. So it's been uh a smooth transition for us. And I'm, I'm assuming you're still living on campus, right, in order to attend practice? I am, yes. Yeah. So what has campus been like? Is it an absolute ghost town? The first semester it was, yes. Students came back, a bunch of them came back probably two or three weeks ago, and then we got hit with this shutdown because we had about 
300 or 400 positive cases on campus. Not on our team, but it just sucks that we had to uh, get shut down because of uh, others people's other people's mistakes. Right. I saw Theta Chi threw down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody was having parties and COVID cases went up tremendously after that. What about the protocols on the team? Are you forbidden from hanging out outside of the rink and such? You know, how often are you guys tested? You know, could you just give us an inside look into what it's been like for you guys? So for the first semester and probably until we got shut down, we could pretty much do whatever we wanted with the guys. Like I could go see guys in houses, apartments that don't live where I live. And there was no problem with that. And then I could go and I have about 16 people that live in the same uh, dorm as me. So usually before the shutdown, we were always in each other's rooms hanging out. But since we got shut down for a couple of weeks, we just kind of have to lay low a little bit and just get through these two weeks so we can uh, get back to playing games next week. Zach, it's Ron Duguay. And I'm always curious, when I look back at my amateur hockey, I played major junior in Ontario for the Sudbury Wolves. At the time, uh, you wanted to play at the highest level amateur hockey, and that was junior hockey in Canada. But now you guys have different options. That's university, college, or major junior. What is it that made you decide that UMass was the best fit for you? I was, uh, I'm the type of guy that's a marathon, not a sprint type of player. So I knew that I was going to need the four years to develop or three years, however many years it takes me to develop my body and into becoming a pro player. I mean, major junior out, I wasn't ready for it at 16. I wasn't ready for it at 17. And I definitely wasn't ready for it at 18. And I never really had that thought in my mind of me wanting to go the major junior route. I, uh, my parents would never let me. So that was also another problem, but I never really wanted to go there. I was always a college guy. I loved college hockey I grew up watching games and UMass for me was just the perfect fit I mean when I was getting recruited to come here I had about two or three schools talking to me and nobody really showed that much interest in the five four defensemen who knows who he is pretty much and uh, UMass the coaching staff here just loved me and they were talking to me all the time every week before I came up my visit they were texting me two or three times and I just felt like I was at home right when I stepped on campus honestly. So you talk about that would be the best place for you to develop. So where are you now in anticipation of playing in the NHL and playing for the New York Rangers next year? Honestly, I want to come back next year. I don't think I'm ready to play pro hockey yet. I don't think my body's mature enough. I don't think I'm big enough yet for it. And I think that extra year of college next year and this year and a big summer this year will help me hopefully, hopefully being able to sign after my junior year. But if that doesn't happen. I'm here for four years and so be it. I just want to come. I want to play pro hockey when I'm ready to play. And I want to dominate at this level and then move on to the next. So if someone was to describe who has not seen you play, we got Ranger fans that are listening right now. How would you describe yourself as a player? I'm an offensive defenseman. I mean, I'm great at the blue line. I think I uh, have really good vision. I, um, I'm working on my defensive game a lot. That's been the biggest, that was the biggest knock on me coming into uh, my draft year that I wasn't very good defensively. And I think I've proved a lot of people wrong in that factor where I'm, turning into more of a two-way defenseman now and I can play penalty kill. I can be out there against guys' top lines. I think that's uh, something that I've tried to get better at and I think it's shown for sure. Now, uh, there's a premium now in defensemen to be able to play either left or right. I know you're a left-hand shot. Can you play both sides if needed to? All the way until probably my sophomore year of high school, I was playing on the right side. My team in Richmond only had five defensemen, so we had to run 5D, so I'd always be playing left, right, either side. Like So I just got used to playing both. All right, now, Zach, I want to have some fun here for my own entertainment and any UMass fans who are possibly listening. I'm just going to fire off a ton of questions regarding the one and only flagship campus and the iconic town of Amherst, Massachusetts. Are you ready? I'm ready. Favorite dining hall on campus? 
Uh, Burke, but the new Wu Worcester is uh, really pushing that. Really? Well, Burke was mine. I I never went to Worcester. <laughs> we uh, the right. new the new dining hall is something else. It's it's unbelievable. I believe you. I believe you. Number one dining in our hearts forever. All right, dorms you've lived in on campus. I've lived in North Apartment C both years. I've lived. Yeah, so I lived in 309 my first year and 308 my second year. What's your major and favorite class you've taken so far? Public health major and favorite class. I took an anthropology class last year. That was pretty interesting, and I felt like I learned a lot about that. If you had to pick a coach to be quarantined with, Coach Carville, D-Mike, or Ben Barr, who would it be? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'll say Benny. <laughs> favorite, favorite off-campus spot to eat? I'd have to say Johnny Tavern. Mm-hmm, I agree. I agree. Those truffle fries are uncomparable. Or, Bo- <laughs> uh, or Bueno, Isano. That Both those places are tremendous. Which bar are you most looking forward to going to when you turn 21 and the pandemic is over? Uh, Spoke. I've never been there and all my teammates that are 21 have been there, but I unfortunately not able to yet. <laughs> of course, of course. And the uh, last one for me, I have to know, is the hockey house with the Christmas tree decorated in bras and thongs still there? So the hockey house still there, yes. And the tree outside last year was covered in all that stuff after our, <laughs> uh, after our rookie day, but I'm pretty sure all that stuff got taken down by the landlord now. <laughs> oh, traditional, still leaving on. All right. Well, exactly. Zach, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. Hopefully the Rangers will, will allow you to stay a friend of the program once you're up in the big leagues. Good luck with the rest of your season and the semester. Thank you, Molly. Thank you very much. up episode 44 rondu gave alternate number edition of up in the blue seats our new york rangers podcast from the new york post thanks to jake brown and sarah mccrory for producing the show go into apple Podcasts now and give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review we appreciate all your support for rondu gay i'm molly walker we'll chat with you guys again next thursday Stay warm, stay safe, stay healthy, and thanks for listening.